Skip, good to see you. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll let everyone know that I've just found out over the last few days about your work, about your art, and I'm knocked down by it. So I thought, why not connect, talk about it, hear some of your story and share it with share it with everyone else. One of the, th the things I I want to focus on in in my work is the work of other artists who are of opening up new spaces and spaces that provoke kind of theological and mystical reflection and your and your work absolutely does that even though i i don't know much about it yet i've seen a few pieces you and i haven't discussed this at all so i'm going to be learning it at the same time everyone else is learning it so let's let's start with who you are tell us a little bit about your your story as much of your story actually as you'd like and and then i'll kind of focus our attention on how i came to see your work what strikes me about it and we can go from there but first who is skip who is Skip? Um, uh, Skip is a member of the Woodstock generation, I guess, would be a good way to put it, which is one other way of saying that I'm old. Mm. Um, not extremely old, and I don't feel it, but there you go. Um, I was uh, born in Arkansas. I uh, went to junior high and high school in uh, Hannibal, Missouri. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church. So um, I'm sure somebody knew that I was predestined not to remain in the Presbyterian Church. So. Uh, as that works. And uh, I got to college in 1969 when there was just a whole lot of stuff going on. And I fell for all of it, hook, line, and sinker. Mm -hmm. And um, after a few years, when that kind of wore thin, I suppose, I, uh, um, the Lord just kind of scarfed me up. You know, he just kind of, you know how it happens. It's just, he just arranges those things in your life that uh, make it almost impossible for you not to notice him. You know, we spend a lot of our time trying to ignore the Lord, but, you know, when you're not really a believer and, and I wouldn't even say I was not a believer, uh, you know, that, that certainly was part of, of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was no relationship as we would, would say, um, I actually wound up then in my mid twenties in a little assembly of God church oh, well. in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Yeah. So I have some affinity with, you know, a lot of your story. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't imagine being raised in it in the same way, uh, you know, but it was, it was just, just a tremendous experience. And I, I really, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It, it, I, I learned a lot, I guess is a good way to put it. It, it became for me, um, and it may have been just this fellowship and there were wonderful people. It became just a little bit more um, towards the emotional side almost a dismissing of the intellectual side of things. And I eventually was not particularly comfortable and um, um, just kind of fast forward through the years. I wound up um, moving to Oklahoma city, start a college bookstore um, oh, wow. uh, for someone else. I did that for a couple of years. Um, I, the whole time I'd been sort of in and out of college and, you know, working on a degree in philosophy, which um, I guess that goes with running a bookstore. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Well, it sometimes to... it's hard. To... It, it certainly <laughs> should. Yeah. Uh, I've never regretted that, you know, because you learn how to think, you learn mm -hmm. how to analyze, you know, you learn how to write a little bit. Uh, so, so I don't regret any of it. It just didn't necessarily prepare me for a career. And I had always been kind of uh, um, adept at, at graphic design mm -hmm. and um, had done that for most any place that I would work for. I would wind up being the person who would put their ads together or flyers and stuff like that. So yeah. Uh, at any rate, 
during, um, I guess in my thirties, while I was living in Norman, um, and left the bookstore, uh, went back to school to try to finish, although I didn't at that point, um, uh, the degree in philosophy and, uh, wound up taking some art classes and some design classes and got encouraged to, you know, basically just go get a job, um, which I did. So I, so I who did the in, encouraging in the there. You got encouraged. Uh, you said who, who did the encouraging? It was actually, it was, he was a professor of mine. Um, his name was Roger Hebner. Mm. And uh, he was actually, he was also a believer, which was kind of a fascinating part of his story. Um, yeah. And as art teachers tend to be, he was a little on the crazy side, but you know, I loved him dearly and uh, took his advice, mm. got the job. We stayed in touch for years. Um, but uh, I, I, so I really came, all things considered, I came kind of late even to the to the advertising career. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I guess, 38 whenever I got okay. into it. And um, but some perhaps due to my age and just timing, I don't know what it was, but I, I managed to get fairly successful fairly quickly. And that was, yeah. you know, I can't complain about that. That was good. It helped to pay the bills and um, helped to raise the family. Um, but then I during that time, I. And and immediately prior, I had sort of had, I guess, what I would generally refer to as a, a kind of a falling out with the Lord. You know, he didn't seem to be any less interested in me, but I was just going, I don't get this. I really I just held that. I just don't get it. So I would I guess I would say that was my deconstruction period. You know, I, yeah. we didn't call it that at the time. And um, it took a while. And then when when uh, I remember when one of my sons turned six, I remember going, you know, I. I could really hear the Lord saying, it's time, you know, you got to get, you got to get serious again. And so I started looking around our church in Fayetteville had had a little bit of affiliation with um, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, Chuck Smith's sister Mm -hmm. had had attended our church. So, Mm -hmm. and we brought in all of those musicians from that era, which was kind of an exciting thing to see as well. But um, so I, I found the uh, uh, Calvary Chapel here. Actually it was in Bethany. Um, Ken Mary who was yeah, the pastor where, where is that? I mean, I lived in Bethany and I don't remember. Yeah, well, it was really a real good. tiny little little church, kind of behind, you know, um, what is that twenty third or thirty ninth Street? Yeah, 39th. perhaps where SNU is. Okay, and just south of there, about a block south, it's a little tiny little little old mm. church of some some brand. I don't know. They actually have a little larger one that's out to the uh, um, a little further to the west between the Children's Center, I think, and the uh, uh, United Pentecost headquarters. So, oh, and I have yeah, a, absolutely. Spent yeah, I have, I have a United that, Pentecost that college right there where the PH headquarters is. That the college so, there is where my wife and I attended and met. And okay, so it's it, that. Yeah, I know exactly where you're talking about. Okay, so you went to Southern Nazarene. Yeah, no, so, I didn't go to Southern Nazarene, but I went to. Oh. So Southwestern is just down the street from the from Southern Nazarene, other side of the 39th. So where the Pentecostal Hole and his headquarters are, there's a college right there. Oh, okay. And I didn't. I was the, unaware yeah, of that. It was originally, it was originally a, a monastery, and the Pentecostal Hole and his church bought those buildings, converted it into headquarters for the denomination and a Bible school for minister. Uh-huh. And so that's where my wife and I attended in the '90s and and met. And so, I, yeah, I mean, we and then later we ended up planning a church. In Bethany, right, divine life, yeah. divine life, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about 
the the fine art side of when when did that start happening for you? I mean, I, you you're doing both now, obviously. So you're an artist who's I'm also doing, doing graphic design. Um, so I really kind of got started in this um, as a a little bit of a photographer. I worked back in Fayetteville. I worked for an alternative newspaper mm. um, during the hippie days, shall we say? And um, uh, it was one of those things where we all we did everything. We wrote articles. We we pasted it up. We took it to the printer. You know, we distributed it. We sold the ads. We did you know took the photography, did the illustration, et cetera. So that was kind of where I got my feet wet with that, uh, and that was largely what led me into you know having the skills to do graphic design. Um, and so I I did that really for quite a while. I wound up actually working for a startup company in Utah that was in the healthcare technology space. Um, and, uh, we were bought by United health group. And so I spent after that, I spent about six years, um, in the creative group for United health. And then in 2014, um, and all along I had sort of played a little bit, you know, the main thing, and as I, as I let you know, that, that these are basically digital images, um, starts with photography or sketches, and then I just manipulate them. But, um, I, I had I had picked up pretty decent Photoshop skills. And in 2014, um, I was in Washington, D.C. One of my sons was going to school at George Washington. Another of my sons had just graduated from high school. We're kind of doing a little summer tour thing. And and uh, we're in D.C. And I hear that uh, uh, the Affordable Health Care Act had been approved by the Supreme Court. And I looked at the kids and I said, well, there goes my job. And literally two weeks, two weeks after that, United Health um, laid off like 30% of their marketing group, which included the creatives. So um, at that point, I'm going, okay, well, I've always kind of kept a little bit of freelance work on the side anyway. So I just kind of picked that back up and, and I had a little extra time on my hands, I guess. So yeah. I began, you know, just to play with it. And, and I'd also looked at it, you know, th- that was one of those things and coming at that age, um, it was one of those things that, that made me kind of pause take a breath and go, okay, so where's, where am I headed? What's my purpose? Mm-hmm. What is it the Lord have me do for the rest of my life sort of thing, or at least for the next two weeks. And um, well, that's the way I always look at it, you know, with my, with my freelance work, yeah. I can usually see about two weeks out after that, who knows, yeah. you know, so. Um, well, that that, so oh, that I, makes me want to ask you this question then. So earlier you had said you you had something of a falling out with the Lord, a little bit of a, a marital spat, perhaps. Sleeping yeah, well, marital is a good way to put it because it was basic, basically it had it had to do with the breakdown of of uh, a marriage. So oh. <laughs> I have a well, couple of those uh, in under my belt. I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> well, you're you're not alone kidding. there, I, I, as you know. So how did that? How did you meet the Lord again, or how did how did you find your way back? Well, that really truly was, um, it truly was a, uh, just one of those times when you just do feel like you the Lord's tapped you on the shoulder and said, it's time to get serious. And this is when my, my second oldest son actually turned six and, and I just knew, uh, I needed to. And so that's kind of when I went back to, um, uh, that's when I went to Calvary Chapel Okay, and, sure. and I got involved there. I loved it. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the Calvary Chapel environment and, um, but it was not something that was very pleasant, shall we say, for my wife, um, who was not raised Christian, really had no particular interest 
Um, although she did eventually come to the Lord. So that's, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, not, shall we say, in time to save the marriage, I wish, but right. um, so that was um, anyway. So all that sort of stuff kind of factors in. But I, uh, I at, in the, at the time, I thought, OK, maybe because a friend of mine suggested, well, why don't you find a church that has like women really intimately involved in the ministry, that kind of stuff. And so um, I had, through someone else, been led to uh, um, put the kids in Christian school. Uh, it was an Episcopal school. And so we started going to uh, a little fairly Catholic kind of Episcopal uh, church, St. John's. And I did that for about a decade, really. Um she never completely got into it, although she was she turned out as the church secretary and, you know, a whole lot of other stuff. And there's a lot more story here, but we don't have time for the whole, whole geschichte. So um, I, uh, when, when that fell apart um, and by that time I had already become really good friends with, with, uh, with someone who had spent about 10 years in the Episcopal um, world. And even to the point of, of, I mean, he was just this close to to becoming a priest, and um, but he's a psychologist, licensed marriage and family therapist, and uh, he got asked by the people at Crossings to come establish a counseling center for them. Hmm. So they have a really robust counseling center. I think they have five therapists, and um, part of that also includes um, like Monday nights, a care series program, which uh, we've got classes. We probably have. 400 people show up um, regularly and they for classes on getting through your divorce, um, getting started again, grief share, um, anger management, um, some Clyde and Townsend stuff on boundaries and safe people and things like that. So I've, I actually, after I went through the divorce care uh, thing, I, I wound up as a facilitator there and um, I've been doing that really every Monday night since 2005 2006 something like that so mm -hmm. but on the back to the art so which is kind of where we got started here yeah um uh as i as i looked at what i was doing and and trying to make those decisions about you know focusing my own direction um i was reminded of what it takes to become an expert and uh, malcolm gladwell says ten thousand hours right Yes, so right. I'm going, when have we got 10,000 hours in, you know, and aside from eating and a few other things, uh, I just thought, uh, okay, I kind of like this Photoshop stuff, you know, and I had more, way more than 10,000 hours in it. And, I, and so I began to think about that, looking back at, at the whole career, how I'd started, how there was, I mean, there's the end of the day. And at, that's kind of the point of that Hall of Fame article is that um, service of the story and, and advertising is service of the story of a product or a company or an issue, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, and certainly I think in, in what, uh, there are people who don't like to use Christian as an adjective, but you know, if you're talking about quote, Christian art, spiritual art, um, that's art and service of the story as well. Absolutely. Sure. The story. And so that, and, and that just, that captivates me. Yeah. Um, so that's really kind of how I, I got back. So I just began doing more of it. Um, I have not spent a lot of time in, in promotion of it. I guess that's a that's the truth. I've, I've had just a couple of shows. Um, um, you had one. I saw the the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. How did that come yeah. about? How did that show come about? Yeah, that came about. See, I joined an organization called SIVA, which is Christians in the Visual Arts. 
And uh, they they existed for 45 years. Regrettably, just last week, I actually got an email saying that they were going to have to close the doors, uh, which is truly sad. Yeah. Um, and it was, so they there there's opportunity to kind of put your work up for to other artists to look at and, you know, occasionally get some review. And so I actually have had a couple of situations. That was the first one where someone called and said, hey, you know, we think we'd like you to, you know, and here's the work that we like. I, I didn't have everything that I'd done, but um, here's the work we like. Can you put together a show? So I did. Yeah. That was, you know, that was, I, I was shocked because at that point I didn't, I didn't envision myself as a, an artist who shows. I still am not sure yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you do it, you want somebody to see it. So uh, yeah. it's not just, well, and you, and I think it's probably close to the truth, at least to say you need somebody to see it, right? Like there, there's something about yeah. being human that we're, we're <laughs> made to share things and it's, exactly. it's, it's not simply, it's not simply ego or, ego needs that require us to share no that's right or something deeper right. and truer i think yeah that's that i've actually wrestled with that one quite a bit because i i look at it well, if it's just ego needs and i don't i don't even go near it yeah. but you're not and I, you've said this often that we're not given the gifts that we have just for ourselves yeah. you know it's for everybody else and that's that's kind of the point so so i'm not shy about it i just i don't really do a lot of promotion mm-hmm. of it um so i found I, it my, my wife found it for me actually uh, on, on Instagram. And I have all kinds of thoughts about what social media has done and done to and done for the arts. Yeah. Next. And, 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 you know, it is like anything else. I think I, I remember Alexander men who was a, an Orthodox priest who ended up being martyred. I mean, for those who don't know, you know, look him up. He's, he's a fascinating story in his own right, but he, much like Martin Luther King Jr., he had a final speech, right? So, you know, Kings, I've been to the mountain, and this is like this resounding word that is echoing as after he's dead, just hours later. Uh, Min has a similar thing. He gives a series of lectures over a, at, his, at his home establishing a new institute. He gives the last one in that series of lectures, and then the next day is killed. And... Mm-hmm. But in that last, I think it's the last or next to last speech that he gives, he talks about the dangers of the city, that that the city is in some ways inhumane. And as much as I love his work, I mean, I think there that that must not be right, right? That there's something about the city, human beings coming together that is incredibly risky. I I I remember Elul. what's that? Jaffa. Oh, Elul. Elul. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. That's precisely right. But I there's a part of me that says, even though we need to name those risks and name those dangers, you know, when I, I was about to say, read a book last year, I think, about the history of infectious disease and how the city and the rise of cities mm-hmm. facilitates that, right? Because now yeah. we're all living together in close quarters. We're all living in our own wastes. We have no way of getting rid of our waste. I mean, it creates horrific conditions for the spread of infectious disease and leads to plague and so on at that we we're living through even now again but i i think there is a an aspect of city making that's arising from christ in us right and i think that's related to social media that social media is 
is a kind of city-like space online where we do introduce infectious diseases. We have waste we have no way of getting rid of. And yet it also brings people to the table who otherwise wouldn't be there. It allows us, it, it creates public room for artists to be heard and seen and for voices that are otherwise going to be silenced to be hearable. So, I mean, before we actually get to your art in particular, talk to me a little bit about what you think about art online, right? The ways in which like this community you just mentioned, that, yeah, that I don't know. Well, right? Your work being seen. Some of it is, I think, a kind of, um, I guess, democratization of, mm -hmm. of art. Because um, yes. I think about, you know, Mako Fujimura is. I do, um, absolutely, yeah. Okay. And, you know, just spectacular work. But these are just monstrously sized pieces that are pretty much usually in institutional edifice kind of situations. And, and I think about, despite the fact that that work is fabulous, and I just love it. Um, at the same time, um, not everybody's going to own one of Mako's pieces. Nobody's going to be able to spend the, I mean, who knows where he's priced right now, but it's, yeah. it's a lot. I so tried almost, it did not go well for me. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. did not go well. So, so that, that's just, so there's a certain privilege associated with being able to have that kind of work of art. So, um, and I also know that he is a, a great advocate and I totally hundred percent agree with him. He said, you have to sit in front of one of his pieces for at least 10 minutes that echo C.S. Lewis, who, you know, he said, we have surrender is the first act that we should do before any work of art, poetry, literature, whatever. Um, and so I agree with all of that, but I also know that, that I'm not going to see the same thing in his art online because of the minerals that he uses and, and exactly all the right. layers and things like that. Um, yet I, I don't believe that that diminishes the value of other art that may actually only exclusively be online. You know? right. So, so there is, uh, yeah, I, I, I think democratization is one way, you know, it's just an opportunity for artists to distribute, you know, if you're not that concerned about selling it to, to stay alive, then, then, you know, it's great, put it out there. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, some people will be, you know, I honestly, I, I kind of, one part of coming to the Lord for me was um, encountering a work of art um, from a Japanese artist, uh, Sakino Junishiro, um, mm -hmm. back in 1973, I think it was. And I was just, I was in tears and it was like, and, and scripture just came to me as I'm looking at it going, you know, we see through a glass darkly mm -hmm. and it's like, wow. And I just, I walked out of that exhibition and the curious part about it is he was a graphic designer. Um, mm -hmm. Part of what he did and, and what his kind of work was not considered to be, you know, fine art particularly you know right. sort of like rockwell gets gets hammered because yeah, of his yeah, illustrations yeah. and that kind mm -hmm. of you know he's just an illustrator not a painter right and and so that kind of made me feel a little bit better too as, as i have reflected over that over the years um so i think that anytime that art another way to so this was from roger hebner um but actually he's quoting a friend of his uh after the university of oklahoma purchased like the largest impressionist collection in the world um and a friend of his just said well that's art well hid you know <laughs> because when you think about it you know a museum's collection they're going to have part of it that's out on display that's right but not all of it most of it most of the time is in storerooms you know right. and I, and there's a certain sadness to that um oh, i agree yeah so have I, a way part of, 
Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to cut you uh, off. I think go ahead. Part of what fascinates me, and again, we're we're dealing kind of at second level here, but I, I'm interested in what you make of this. I think the the rural Pentecostal in me revels in those public spaces, the, the democratization, right? That like mm-hmm. you know, I grew up amongst people who were street preachers. And yeah. there yeah. there is a sense in me that this is there's some analogy, some connection between standing on the street corner preaching about hellfire and brimstone and the coming of the Lord and putting art on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or Tumblr or some online chat group, whatever the case, there is, or at least there can be a, a symmetry there. And that there's a redemptive act, I think. I mean, online can be a cesspool, right? It can be a a place of, of great harm and risk. And I think there's something holy, or at least there can be something holy about claiming that space for for the sharing of good things, right? For whatever is good, true, beautiful. And I, I, so I, I hear the, some of the highbrow criticisms of this and it, it makes me bristle a bit. I mean, I remember I was a part of a conversation in the, right in the beginning of the pandemic about whether or not churches should be showing their services online, whether or not you could do communion online. And I had just had, I mean, I think the day before I got the invitation, I'd had this incredible moment watching Pope Francis via television kind of perform this mass alone, right? Because people couldn't be St. Peter's Square. And like that, like sensing not just the moment and the, the splendor of the staging, but the, that, so there was something daring, something holy about it. And I remember as I was reading these various theologians warning about the dangers of being online and, and insisting that there's no way for the church to be the church online. And I, what I wrote back was the spirit is not so easily stymied, right? <laughs> We're talking about the infinite creative spirit. So I, I hear those risks. I do, I do hear them. And I, I don't think that, I mean, we need art criticism. We need people who know what they're doing, people who have a sense of what's good and what's not good and are, and are able to tell us why. But right. yeah, I mean, that, that the old school Pentecostal in me says, Hey, this, this is a space that belongs to God's world. And, and we, right. should, it's all we going, should insist on it's all going on. It's all going on his refrigerator door. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I totally yeah. think that's the case. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, none of us are that good. Okay. Uh, that he's going to go. Okay, well, this is I'm, I'm building a, a building for this piece of art. You know, <laughs> puts it all in his refrigerator and just loves it all. God's not um, that impressed. Yeah, but he but he's delighted. Yeah, yeah. but he is. But he's delighted. That's exactly right. No, uh, on uh, I, I have mixed feelings. I think obviously most people have mixed feelings about social media and um, that whole online life. Um, my guess is that there's almost like a new sort of vocabulary or or language that's kind of developing out of that i see that maybe more so in my kids than than perhaps in me mm-hmm. um we re- we wrestled this church wrestled with with uh the problem of doing online stuff happily we already had a presence you could already watch all crossing services online so that that kind of went off seamlessly um uh, you know on the other side of things is I, i'm part of a um like 
seven, eight guy men's Bible study group that has met since, well, I joined in 1995 um, and they had existed for 10 years prior to that. So I'm still the new guy. Um, but we, we, we had to switch to zoom. Okay. Uh, it worked, it worked fine. And as a matter of fact, we had one guy retired and went to Mexico. Another guy, uh, it was an Episcopal priest who actually had, um, had moved to Houston and is retired now, although he preaches as much as he spent as much time doing mass now as he did whenever he actually had a parish. Um, but, uh, they're able to join because of that. So we never went back. We continue to do it on zoom because of that. Now, I don't know, had we started just take these guys randomly and started it just on zoom and we didn't know each other. We had not been in each other's presence and recognizing the nuances that take place in communication from body language and all that. I don't know that it would have had, you know, would have been able to sustain, but it's been fantastic anyway. So I I just really, I, I see a place for it, you know, no question. And I I like the way you're going. The Lord's Lord's in it. You know, we we think the, all the Holy spirit really only works inside the four walls of the church. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's talk about your art in particular. So the piece I saw first that, my wife showed me while I was driving the, you know, probably shouldn't have done that, but it happened was, is a piece called the edge of Eden. And it's, you know, it's on my phone on Instagram. What is this piece? How did it come about? And I'll share this in the show notes too. So people will be able to, to look at it. Um, Yeah. Just anything about this story. Obviously this is part of, let me go back to Mako for a moment. I, I had seen Mako's art. I'd seen videos of him working. I'd I'd heard him give interviews, but I'd never been in the room with any of his paintings. And and probably I don't know, fifteen years ago or something like that, Baylor did an exhibit of his paintings. And so several of us drove down to spend the day and hear a lecture that night from him. And I remember when I walked into the gallery and saw the paintings for the first time, two things stunned me. I mean, before the 10 minutes, I mean, like immediately stunned me. One was the size of the works. I, I hadn't realized just how how much that would factor in how I would see them, you know, the, their their size. Mm-hmm. But the other is how soft many of them were, right? So you you mentioned that, I mean, he's working with materials, gold and other precious minerals, but that many of the paintings, when you're looking at them online, they have a kind of, the colors are are bright and hard when you're looking right. at digital images, but they're not when you're in the room. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with the gallery lighting. I mean, there's a, all kinds of factors, but I, I, I wonder what this piece looks like. Does it exist outside of a digital image? Have you printed a kind of definitive form of it? I mean, anything about this piece but either it's history or it's current state. I'd love to hear it. I, I apologize for this. Can you hold your phone up so I can look at it? Because you said oh, yeah. the edge, edge of Eden, and I'm thinking. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me send it to you. So you say, see this and more of my work. This is great that you have so much that I, um, I've named something you didn't have ready at hand. That's awesome. Of course, that, 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 that kind of reassuring to me, actually. So, um, so I just sent it to you. Hopefully, you can you can check it out there. Oh, oh boy, that's fascinating that you picked up on that one. Yeah, actually, I don't even have that one online anywhere. Um, that one has been printed. Um, 
uh, I, so this, this is really a process thing. Okay. Without any question. I mean, I think you read that article so you can tell that a lot of the stuff that I do just kind of comes out of my, uh, native ADHD problem and <laughs> squirrel, you know, right. and I'll see sure. some flash of light, some pattern, a shadow just flickers and, and it's like, and I'm just off in awe. I mean, that's just, you know, that's why I love Janice's interview with you because awe is absolutely informs what I do. Mm. And um, I was just playing one day with uh, another image and I have this software where you can actually, you can blow things up a lot. Okay. It, it interpolates it or extrapolates it, whichever is the right word there. And so I just thought, well, what happens if I just keep going? You know, mm. and I just keep zooming in and I'm going, I know I'm not going to get to molecules or any of that sort of stuff, but just, just to see what would happen. And as I, as I, as I do, I just, you know, I get there and I see this one area that just looks like, it's like the edge of a, of a stream or something. Mm. And maybe there's some snow. I mean, what's in there looks like foliage. Although if you look at it close, you go, that's not foliage. That's just that's right. kind of lines. It's, mm. it's, it's impressionistic. And uh, I just remember thinking that's what I like about it as far as, so I, yeah, I, I do remember it now. The edge of Eden actually kind of comes out of that sense of when uh, in Narnia, when um, the snow begins to melt. Yeah. Okay. And so as there's always, as the snow begins to melt, there's still that area that's still frozen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's still that snow and the ice over here, but then the other stuff kind of begins to melt and, and bloom. And so it's that, connection between those two things really that's what that's about which did you did you have an original photograph that you're working with i mean what what was the original material it really would not have made any difference at all other than it um it was it was i can remember what the photo was i mean i have some pieces that i know precisely the the source of the photography even though it didn't look at all like it did before um this one i don't recall which piece i started with it would it would have been from a photo and it would have been just kind of zooming in and letting that software do what it does which raises a whole bunch of questions and i know there are people who challenge the artistic aspect of that um i i have a few things i could say about that at some point too but um yeah it really is just i was just when i when i find something that just the image itself starts to speak to me yeah, yeah, yeah. Starts to tell the story. That's when I, I try to stop. Well, know? I think the art, and I think that's it, Skip. I mean, my uh, Nick Cave, who's one of my kind of guiding lights as an artist. I mean, he he has said, I mean, just recently, he has something called the Red Hand Files that I hope everybody is reading, where fans write in questions to him and he he responds. And he has lots of fans who will use these kind of... Um, these you know, new age softwares that will write songs in the style of, right? So you can, you, you, of course, you know, there are yeah, yeah. sites that will create art in the style of visual art in the, in the style of, right. there are also right. algorithms that will create songs or stories in the style of. And so lots and lots of people have, you know, asked for songs in the style of Nick Cave. And so he was responding to one of these, I think it was just yesterday, maybe the day before. And he talked, he, he made the point that, algorithms can't create art and i think that's right but i i one protest i would say is that what you're talking about here is not that the algorithm made art but that there was something that was made there that you artfully recognized as beautiful Mm -hmm. 
So the well, art that, here is, is, is much about what you're seeing as what you're making, but you're allowing this machine to do its work until you recognize something that, that speaks beyond what the machine could ever mean. And that to me, that is artful, right? That is yeah. art. But that, you put that very well, Chris, um, you know, there, there are, you know, there, there is the artwork itself, the artist behind it. And then the observer, there's always that interaction between those three elements in any art and it's one of the reasons that a lot of artists don't even like to talk about their work because well it really doesn't matter what i think it's just whatever the observer kind of comes up with um uh, you know that's okay as far as it goes um but it is it's just recognizing that okay this is now told us a story i kind of feel the same way about ai art um i'm just going okay just you just plug some stuff in and you know turn it into mm-hmm. whatever you turn it into and and i i question whether it's art but I will say that what happens, though, once I reach that point where I recognize that it tells a bit of a story, I will do things to enhance elements in it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. uh, in order to make sure that the, you know, the blue at the bottom of that really does kind of come, begin to come across as. as yeah, the colors, are stunning. So the colors are stunning. Looks, so it looks like an edge um, to be sure. And yeah, so so there's always some work that you do on it. In this case, though, it's not really AR as as much as it is just enlargement. You know, mm-hmm. this was just kind of at the, you know, in the uh, the way I put it. Remember, Francis Schaeffer used to talk about uh, the warp and the woof of the universe. Yeah. And I just sort of feel like there's this presence of God in the warp and the woof of the inner universe, and AI is not going to escape that. That's not something that's independent that's right. of, of the world that God has created. Where we have algorithms, thank God we do. You know, they help us find the house in the neighborhood we've never been to before, right? So, um, yeah, all that stuff yeah. is is okay in one sense. Yeah, and I think recognizing that it is space that should and needs to be sanctified, right? I, I, I Part of, for me, and I don't know if you yes. were in the last Hebrews class I was teaching, but I, I tried to make the case that that to be human is to be priestly, that our to exist as a human being is to have the calling of sanctifying creation in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And I think art in whatever medium is that work, right? Whether it's a song or a dance or a sculpture or a building or a painting or something made online using algorithms or using software. Like I think that that can be, I don't think it inherently is, but it can be sanctified. And I think that's our, our priestly work. And if these are things we have made, I I do think there are things human beings should not have made atomic bombs, for example. I totally agree. But there is much that we've made that needs to be sanctified now. And I I would argue that, you know, digital art, and and I I do think it's interesting to me. I, I, I'm really struck by the fact that the piece you named earlier, the Japanese artist that moved you, his work moving you, there's, there is, I think, a border between advertising and art, between digital creations for the sake of telling a story and digital creation that is artful on its own terms. There's, there's a border there, but I think it's a porous border right? It can be crossed back and forth and needs to be crossed back and forth. And I, I, I'm struck 
by the fact that you somehow sense that right in the, in the piece that moved you so deeply. And I think one way of hearing it, the Pentecostal in me again, is going to hear it as that's the spirit calling that out of you, not just for your sake, not just so you can express what's in you, but so you can fulfill the priestly call. Yeah, I do not like, I, I'm really not a big fan of the term expressionism. And I know a lot of my stuff looks like expressionism. I, I get that, but that's, I don't feel like that's what it is. I think it's, in one sense, I feel like it's just kind of capturing a certain light that's there and and I see it and I just want to share it. Yeah. You know? And I've seen, I've seen something in this that has spoken to me, you know, through the spirit and perhaps it will speak to someone else in the same way. And um, you know, that's exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I want to get you to talk about, so I want to, I want to shift to a couple of the pieces that I found later. So that I, I began kind of at the edge of Eden, which it seems appropriate. <laughs> now. And, and then fell in, right. I fell into the Narnia of your work. So I want to talk a little bit next about the silence of Adam, which again, I'll put this in the, in the show notes. This, I, I just want to hear the whole story about this. This is remarkable. This is one of those, I'm, I want in my home, I want near me because it, it is a stunning, stunning, stunning work. So talk to, talk to me about it. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, that one, I mean, obviously begins from a sketch and, and of course that's even the foreground, you know, mm. it's Adam is the sort of, uh, in, indistinct figure behind her. Behind, Yeah. Okay, so that's, which I think is absolutely part of the biblical narrative. He's, you know, we always go, well, where was Adam? Why didn't he speak up? You know, well, he was right there. He was just kind of watching going, well, see how it goes with her. And then we'll find out. And and so that that ultimately is kind of, is what the piece is about. In the background um, of it, of course, obviously, the the whole story of this is that I, I was at, um, let's see, this is in Ada, Ada Oklahoma. And uh, I have done some book design for the Chickasaw tribe over the years, and they have a, a fantastic museum down there. And I was just kind of going through uh, their exhibits, and there's a room with, um, and I don't know how it's painted now, but 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 it had um, a skylight in it, okay? And there were some angular lines to the skylight, and you can see it more in the rest of that series a little bit, a little bit more distinctly, but where where there's like this you know, the skylight actually is kind of in the corner. I took some pictures and that was really the angle that I really liked. Wow. And I, and I thoroughly enjoyed that kind of, um, it's like a breaking in sort yeah. of. And it, that repeats in a lot of these pieces. I'm, I mean, we'll talk about several of them, but that, that same exactly. shape. Yeah. Yeah. And so that came because the, that photograph was kind of the background of the whole thing. And then I just layered in a lot of other stuff. Um, and you'll find, uh, not so much in the early part of, the, of the, that series, but uh, in the later part of the series, there's a lot of what looks like um, foliage. Not well, not foliage, better better like foliage, uh, just limbs and you know little bits of wood and stuff like that. It's just it's sort of mm. like trying to get through, you know, a hedgerow, which is yeah. kind of mm. those those hedgerows came as a result of the fall. You know, I I, I have this wow. idea that that mm. we would have. You know, and and I think that I think this works out in the New Testament where, where it talks about um, creation groaning, and so I get this sense that it's it's perhaps a little too anthropomorphic, but just like this desire on the part of creation to be more fruitful, more yeah. fertile, 
than it is. But because of what we did and because of what we continue to do in so many ways, um, it can't be. It's 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 yeah. It's frustrating. You know, in the language of Romans eight, like it's frustrating is exactly the word. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that and that's and that's that frustration. So those are kind of the thorns and the thistles and mm. you know, that which which human effort unfortunately brings forward. It doesn't mean we're gonna starve. You still mm. just gotta have to work a little bit harder to to mm. be able to eat. So that's that's really kind of the heart of it. And and I was just I had done some sketching and um that foreground figure came out. And as I and I just thought this is this is fine because I, I had a real sense that this whole series was going um uh in Eden and then of course a couple of other and, and I don't I'm not a big fan of all of them. That particular one though I I, I do like. Um it has you're not the first person I've spoken to, interestingly enough. But um, um that's very nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I wonder this is I think true of any of our work. I mean, books I've written, sermons I've given, sketches I've done or or whatever. Like there doesn't seem to be um a way of predicting how what people are going to be moved by. I mean, there are so many things that I've that I've done or said that I thought this this is deeply meaningful, right? This is this is good work that I've done. Yeah. And it doesn't land the way you would expect and or the way I would have expected. So I, I think that well, that's sometimes true. sometimes Chris, I think sometimes the work, you know, something I said earlier, and, and you you echo this a lot about how um you know the gifts that we're given are not just for us. Mm-hmm. I suspect that may not always be true. There may be times where, where mm. we may be given a gift protect particularly in say a work of art that you know, something somebody else did or something that we're working on ourselves that mm-hmm. is formative for us mm-hmm. that may not necessarily speak to anybody else, but it's still, you know, yeah, it has, still, it, it, it has worth. Yeah. No, I think, and, that's, and I think I that's useful. It's valuable. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, you've used the word play several times today. I mean, I, I don't know if you would say that's where a lot of this comes from for you. For me, a lot of the art, at least the visual art, comes from pain comes from processing pain which is you know some something i guess cliche but it's cliche for a reason i mean i think that you know we are drawn kind of into the depths of things drawn to pay attention differently to words or images or sounds be, either because we somehow we're heightened our awareness is heightened and i i think for some it it can be because there's so much joy. There's so much levity. It's so light that it, you, you kind of get a, a brightness that allows you to see things differently or hear them differently or feel them differently. And then I think for others, it, it's the opposite. It's a darkness, a heaviness that can still generate a different kind of awareness, which again, for me, that's the spirit's work. Every corner, so to speak of creation, whether far to the side or, to the top or the bottom, all of that is meant to be claimed and sanctified and, and redeemed oh. and experientially too. Right. So uh, talk a little bit about did, I mean, am I making too much of your use of the word play or do you think that is an aspect of you as a creator? I mean, are you a playful creator? Yeah, I, that is an aspect of me as a creator, but it's not. Um, you know, play doesn't necessarily mean that what you come up with are 
unicorns and butterflies. Okay. <laughs> that's that's just not, you know, that's not it. Sometimes it's just, it is recognizing the beauty, even in the darkness, mm-hmm. you know, it's being able to see that, which, uh, you know, for God, you know, the darkness is just the same as, as daylight. Right. That's right. So it, and somehow being able to sometimes pull that out, I, you know, I, I'm watching a TV show on Netflix at the moment called his honor. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it is, um, and if you watch Breaking Bad, you'll know the the main oh, character, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, Brian Cranston. Yeah, yeah, it's based on a on a, on a um, an Israeli series, mm. um, and it's about a judge in New Orleans whose son, named Adam, by the way, um, gets uh, into trouble because he actually hits somebody um, with his car and kills him, and then flees the scene. Dad, of course, is a judge who is uh, kind of well known for you know taking care of the downtrodden uh, that, that come before him in his court and they wind up. So the whole thing is, is it's extremely dark. It's extremely dark. And yet this, it's almost as if this is intentional, but the, but the themes that come through of uh, the nature of justice and this father's love for his son named Adam, which again, that's almost, almost too on the nose in a way, if, if, yeah. if the writer is Christian, you're going, yeah, okay. You could have backed off a little bit on that, but <laughs> those, those, those redemptive themes just continue to come through. Now, if it works like breaking bad in the end, I'm not sure where the redemption was, but that's, a, you know, another discussion. Um, yeah. But I, I see all of that uh, as part of what works its way out into my art. So the, any of the pain that I've experienced, you know, I mean, it, it shows up there. Um, I don't always talk about it. I guess maybe the, the most recurring motif has probably is this, this kind of vines that are really impossible to walk through. Um, that was, uh, you know, that's just where we live. You know, we're just kind of struggling to make our way through that. Which shows up in, in the work. Let me ask you about the epiphany piece from that same series. The mm-hmm. skylight is present there. Talk, talk to us about that. Right. right. <clears throat> Well, that that literally was just just coming from reflection on on uh, on the epiphany. Um, you, you can you can see a dove in there. I tried not to get too literal in some of the yeah. uh, stuff. So I'll take something that's a fairly literal image and then just you know destroy it in order to make it not just completely contrived. Yeah. Um, but but it is but it is in fact there. So you know you have you know you've got the water. It curiously actually when you, you sent me something. Um, and that wound up as the image that came along with it, which I thought was kind of, Oh, interesting. I love it. Still water. Yeah. It, actually, that's what it was. It's like your Substack notification. Yeah. 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 I used it. Water. I used it for my Substack. Yeah, that's right. Good. Good. Well, you're welcome to any of this anytime. No problem. Feel free. Um, so, so it really, it is, it is a question of still water is a question of, you know, I obviously for obvious, uh, church calendar reasons have thought a little bit about that in the last few weeks. Um, and you know, a couple of years ago, whenever I did this piece yeah. and it's just, uh, you know, and you, you, you say something also fairly regularly about when Jesus was baptized, it was not for his sins, obviously, yeah. but it was that he cleansed the water. Yes. Okay. Which also goes back to that same idea of, you know, if we're not out there, if we're not in, in the world as the body of Christ, you know, um, there are things that perhaps don't get cleansed or God just has to go about it some other way, but he intends for us to do that, for us to be that kind of influence. In the world. Absolutely. So that's, 
And that's, that's just the nature of epiphany for me. So, and it's like, also, I, I don't think that the clouds broke necessarily and the, all that stuff that you see on the side, which, <clears throat> um, again, that's just still, it's just a representative of the darkness that exists mm-hmm. in our world that is being overcome, you know, and, and you know, pretty classic stuff with the, the light from above and, you know, the gold up in the, in the heavenly realm. Okay. But it's drawing close. It's drawing near, which is and precisely. Does this, has this one been printed? And if so, how, if you, if you had, if you haven't done that, how would you want it done? Like what, is there a, an image for you of what this would look like if it were materialized beyond when, what it is digitally? Yeah. When I first started with this series, I, uh, my idea um, was to carry this out on parchment because parchment actually is, is real parchment is basically just animal skin. Yeah. And uh, um, it's really funny. The same day that the parchment arrived and it was sitting on my table, all stacked up and I'm looking at it going, this kind of be a problem because it's very uneven and very hard to print on with a, with a, a, a digital printer. And uh, at the same time, I, one of my sons had given me a, a uh, hot sauce of the month uh, gift. And the one that came today was like angry goat uh, hot sauce. Angry. And I opened that package sure. up and I'm looking at this. And I'm going, yeah, they're mad at me. I get it. Okay. Totally. <laughs> well, so I, so I take this stuff down. I take the digital files down and we work trying to the, to the place that I had it output and we worked for it for two weeks. And at one point he finally says, you know, if this blows out the head of my, my uh, printer, that's going to cost you another $2,500. And I said, let's look at some other material. Let's look point. at some other. So, yeah. yeah. So it's now it's, it's, it's on, it, it is, um, it will be printed on paper, you know, in the future. I did, I did wind up, uh, this is for the, for that show in Iowa. Um, and I didn't print it on that, but I used the, the, uh, the parchment behind it because it actually does look like animal skin. And then we printed it on some fabric. And sort of hung those um, kind of in layers. Uh, not my favorite way to have done that, but but well, well, I, I like that layering though. I mean, you mean were they lit so you could see that they were layered? I mean, how how did you? Yeah, it was obvious that there were layers because it was linen overlaying that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, mm. and I don't, I don't. I've got pictures of those someplace, but uh, never hundred percent satisfied with the way they turned out. And I thought the image is probably strong enough just to, just to output at some point on mm-hmm. just on, on uh, watercolor paper, which is a great place to do this stuff. I don't, I don't know if you know, Dan heck, does that name ring a bell for you? No. So Dan, I don't know him personally. I just, again, know him online. He did a series last year, in which he was using, I think it's called mid journey. It's a, it's one of those AI art generators but he, he he's a good example, I think, of someone who used the art generating software in ways that I think are really illuminating. I mean, he's not claiming, he's not making something of it in terms of his own artfulness, but is drawing attention, I think, to to the ways in which that that we need to attend to what it means that we're able to generate these kinds of images and create the algorithm algorithms that make those images possible. So for those who are interested in more of that, I would look him up and look at some of what he did. I don't know. I saw it first on Facebook. I don't know if he shared it somewhere else. I think he writes on medium as well, but that's somebody else to check out. 
as we start to wrap up, I want to talk to you a little bit about the relationship between art and prayer. So one of the things I've become convinced of, tried to write about, but I, I just believe, um, kind of down to my bones, is that there's this deep, 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 deep relationship between art and prayer. And the reason is both are coming up from if they're any if they're any good and i think there are bad prayers as well as bad art yeah, there are. <laughs> <laughs> but if they're any good they're coming up from the deeps of us right they're coming up from the, the soul and so i'd bad like prayer. to now i like me down to sleep yeah yeah <laughs> right exactly talk to us a little bit about what that's been like for you what that how would you uh, say, how would you characterize the relationship of art and prayer in your own life yeah. So do you know David Taylor? He teaches at Fuller. And, I do. Um, I do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I, I took a class from him and uh, I, I did write a, a paper on and I attempted to make that connection between art and prayer. Uh, I did a lousy job of it. I mean, I, I wandered off, which is not unusual for my writing. I can tell you that. Right. Right. Uh, and he said, well, you really should have stayed in in this area a little bit more. And he still gave me a B and it was all nice. And he's a wonderful guy. And, I, you know, yeah, so David's all that. Great. No, no hard feelings, but um, that that is precise. As I as I try to get around what art finally is, you know, what is it that we are expressing? What is it that that what is the impulse that that is at the base of doing art? And I think prayer probably is it. Mm-hmm. You know, it is um, maybe not what we've seen, but what we are trying to create and trying to return it best example i can think of this and and it is prayer because of the way she worked um uh, my my mom died in uh 2000 my dad married a couple of years later a woman who had been a nurse and then but also a very talented artist and every time they lived in atlanta and every time i would go visit um she would always drag me into the studio and said look at this look at what i'm working on look at this and what fascinated me about that was that she would do that not as an ego thing at all, but it was like, and I've, I've written a little bit about this. It's, it is, uh, it's like she had received this gift from her dad and she wanted to share it, you know? And mm-hmm. so that, that is prayer, you know, yeah, that's Thanksgiving, it is. It you is. know, and it, and it's bringing your gifts to the altar. It's all those things that are, that are part of that relationship that Jensen's conversation within the, within the Trinity that you join in. I, I just think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So yeah. So the Anne Lamott has that <laughs> wonderful book about prayer, in which she says all prayer really. There are only three prayers. There are three kinds. Yes. Thanks, yeah. help, <laughs> and wow. Right. Wow. <laughs> and I. That's. I mean, I, I teach my kids that. Right. I mean, that the prayer at its heart is either God, thank you, this is incredible, or God, you got to do something. <laughs> we're 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 in a tough spot or a kind of wordless astonishment. Right. And, and I, I think that can cut both ways. I mean, I think there's a kind of wordless, there's a, a something that a, a kind of sorrow that cannot be brought to speech. You know, it can, it, it can be brought to tears or groans, but not to speech, but also just joy and wonder. And I think, not only are the two related, I think there are at its best art just is that right. It's not just that art comes from the same place that prayer does. If the art is worth doing, it is because it is in in some way prayer. However, Mm -hmm. 
intended or not by the artist is beside the point, right? Because it's arising up as a word to the creator, as a word to the one who who can see that. I mean, we we talked at the very beginning of this conversation of I think there's there's a reason that we need our work to be seen. I, I think that is because we're we're made by we're not self-made, right? We're not self-constructed. Yeah. We're creatures. And we are waiting on being seen and heard. And art yeah, I, speaks to that. I, I think, yeah, liturgy is a good example because liturgy is art and it is, it is also, it's the work of the people, right? That's right. Um, and so within, what is the work of the people ultimately? It's in prayer. And yep. It's prayer and praise, just believing. Mm-hmm. And so as you express it, and that goes back to James then, you know, what faith without works is dead. You can believe, but if you're not doing something with it, then yeah. it's dead. So so I, as we stop here, I'm hoping that there are folks who are listening who, who've kind of toyed with the idea of playing in that deep sense you meant it in the arts, either visually or in whatever whatever medium. What would you say to them, to those people who are just about ready to respond to that call that's on them? Oh, don't hesitate. Yeah. You know, or I I say don't hesitate, but I also know that what actually enriches it sometimes is that hesitation. Mm -hmm. That whenever you're just not ready to get started, and maybe you know that in your own spirit that you're not ready to get started, um, you can wait. There, you, you have eternity, actually, as it turns out. And so, you know, you don't you don't have to worry about it. Now, that doesn't mean you, you don't at some point get started because that's, you know, a lot of people have difficulty with that. I even myself uh, can have some difficulty just getting started in something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that first step is all it usually takes. You know, what they say about writing, you know, it's, it's really it's just the first line. You get the first line of the novel and you're good. Mm-hmm. You can get the rest of it out. So, uh, yeah, it's just don't hesitate too long is there something we should be some books we should be reading some people you should be listening to you think that can help kind of draw that artfulness up out of us i mean who would you if you had to teach a class this semester you know uh, your i've forgotten your teacher's name the one that provoked you roger oh roger Hebner. yeah, yeah. That, that was if you were in his idea. role who who would you who would you tell us to read who would you tell us to listen to uh well i probably the first person i would probably say would be mako you know um without question he's got several books um uh, dorothy sayers mind of the maker is just classic you know and that applies across obviously she's a writer but it it applies across every medium that's out there um and uh those are the first two that kind of come to mind um i would say they might get something out of this little all things beautiful book that a, a guy named Chris Green has written. You know? Wow, uh, man, yeah. I did not know I was setting that up. But not thank you. Kidding. <laughs> That's a plug, but I mean, it's 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 heartfelt. I I can tell you that. And then the unfortunate part is I've got a, like several hundred books over there, that, <laughs> almost all of them that I could recommend. So yeah. you know, no, yeah. that's good. So I'm I'm going to end with this. I I had no I had no intention of this. This just suddenly came to me, but I thought it might be a a fitting way to close you you mentioned lewis and then just now when you mentioned sayers it sparked for me so there's a there's a part of lewis's 
the I just lost the name of it. The the book about heaven and hell, the Great Divorce. Great Divorce, yes. Which is a tremendous book. I mean, I love it, love it, love it. But there is one part of that book that I really dislike, and I, I would I'd love. Have you read it? Do you, do you know the book? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I figured you did. So. I, I want to tell you what I dislike about it and just get your riff. Maybe you read it differently. Hope, I, in some ways, I hope you do read it differently. But you remember there's that scene, and I can't remember where it is in the book because it's been years since I read it. But there's a painter who's come to heaven on the bus, right? And he, he wants to set his easel up, get his paints out, and and paint what he sees, right? And And the guide says to him, no, 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 there was a time for that. But this is not that time, right? This is a time to to be present to what's here. And I, from the first time I read it, I've had like a a visceral reaction against it because it it suggests to me, and and I may be misreading it. Again, I'm open to that. But it's I've read it many times, grappled with it many times, and I always come away with the feeling that that's. That's to imagine that art is what you do to get somewhere and art is what you do because you can't be there because you can't get at it. Right. That prayer is at its heart, just what you do because you can't do what you really need to do. And I I don't, I don't think that's true about art or prayer. I mean, I think that the, we don't create because we can't get to heaven. The the creating is because heaven is breaking in on us, to use language that you used before, or because our experience of hell is awakening in us a desire for heaven. So I I just I'm going to give you the last word on it. What do you make of that that detail, that passage in the Great Divorce? And, and you know, feel free to correct anything I've said here. Um, and- no, I, I I I react somewhat the same way. I have a, a little bit of sympathy in this way that. Um, it's almost as if what they were trying to stop is saying, okay, you're going to take a picture of this and take it back with you. Mm. What's the point of that? Yes. Staying. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I don't think that it necessarily means that, that doing art is just something or prayer, especially prayer. Uh, it's not something that you do because you can't do the real thing. No, it's, it is the real thing. It is the real thing. And I think the art is the real thing too. Um, but I do, but I think I can see in that, particular case you know on you know on that bus getting there doing this painting the intent very likely is just to take it home mm. now maybe you could just say well they're going to evangelize with that they're going to, have to show people <laughs> that. That's what, i love this week you're getting out yeah. no, but but maybe not uh so yeah i i share that but but i i have a sympathetic reading i like that way I, I like that I, that helps me yeah. that helps me see another another way of hearing it all right so if people want to follow your work what do they need to do skip how do they get in touch with you uh well you can follow the instagram um my website uh that has um not all of my art but it has a fair amount of it is called uh realitygrid.com mm-hmm. and uh those are probably the two two main things and there there are links there where you can get a hold of me i i don't have i'm not in the gallery and i don't have i'm not set up to uh to sell online necessarily, but I can certainly work that out. I, I do occasionally sell some pieces. So great. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. reach out to you about that. Cause there are a couple that I want to, 
check into. Hopefully I don't run into the same dead end I did with Mako's work. <laughs> but let me just put this way. I, I'm certainly not in the same league as Mako uh, in many ways and definitely not uh, in, in terms of pricing. So don't, don't even worry about that. Um, yeah. Well, man, listen, Skip, yeah. this is, this has been a joy. Thank you for your work. Thanks for your friendship and this conversation. We'll talk yeah. soon. Okay. Okay.